0: Hey, we are going to start a new book today uh, If you need a Bible, I got you If you need a Bible, raise your hand we get one into your, into your hands and you can turn there Make your way to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 today uh, Very catchy title, don't you think? Ecclesiastes chapter 1 I was going to call it the most depressing book ever written by man But it seemed more fitting to be Ecclesiastes chapter 1 Hey, uh, last week we took a glimpse We titled the message Solomon's Greatest Hits or whatever it was And we kind of went through some of the things we've been studying on on our midweek on Thursday nights in the book of Proverbs And it's an amazing book to say the least There's so much to be gained from this man's wisdom And and the things that he has penned for us And I thought we should take another look and kind of dive into some of Solomon's other writings And that's where we're at today Ecclesiastes, which really means just the preacher or the teacher, however you want to define that. And really, it's the same man that writes the Proverbs, you know, that wrote the book we're studying today, but a completely different approach, completely different way to teach us. Um, Proverbs is really kind of a collection of verses designed to get us on the right track, to keep us on the right path, So it's the right way to do things. Solomon, however, in Ecclesiastes, shows us really the wrong way to do things. That's the main focus of this book. And I like that. I like that balance of the right way and the wrong way. Sometimes that's needed. Both of those teaching styles are they're effective if we let them be effective. We can learn from the best, hanging out with the best. I agree. But we can also learn... A lot (laughs) just by watching or listening or observing someone who is doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong things, and then just avoiding the pitfalls that we watch them walk into. Ecclesiastes follows that learn from my mistake style of teaching. Listen, we all need direction, we all need instruction. But this time Solomon takes a viewpoint that's different from any other book really of the Bible. The main focus of Ecclesiastes isn't the existence of God. He doesn't throw all these facts and these things at us to prove that there is a God. God doesn't give Solomon one time in this book a thus says the Lord type of of instruction. Solomon's a believer in God. Don't don't doubt that. But by this time in his life, scholars think as he's older and kind of retrospective, that he knows God is real. He knows God's always going to be there. But the picture that Solomon chooses to paint for us today is whether or not God matters in our life. He does this by recalling the life of a man, in this case himself, who has decided to do things their own way. A person who's decided to do things of their own understanding and leave God out of the equation altogether. He's the wisest man on earth, but he's learning a valuable lesson. Trying to stay away from God is not going to work out well. And studying Ecclesiastes is a daunting task. (laughs) It's depressing at times to read this man's writings, but if we understand what he's trying to say, we can clearly see a life that's lived without God is not a life that any one of us should live or should want to live. This book was penned about a thousand years or so before Jesus was even born. Ecclesiastes falls into this wisdom literature in the middle of your Bible. Um, you know the proverbs that kind of thing. Job studies the problems of evil and of, of human suffering. The Song of Solomon really focuses on the the beauty of love and of pleasure, those kind of things. Proverb teaches us the right way to live for God and everything from our finances to our friends and our family. Proverbs paints that picture. Ecclesiastes explores the findings of a self focused human being who ultimately finds a meaningless life apart from. God. And he kind of rambles on and on in this book. He wanders around from thought to thought. As wise as Solomon was, it's comforting for me, and hopefully for you too, to know that Solomon didn't have all of the answers. He was trying to find the answers, he didn't know everything. And this walk that we've chosen, this faith that we've chosen, is not a formula. It's not something we can calculate easily. It's not cut and dried by any way, shape, or form because it's always changing and it's always evolving. However, good news this morning is God doesn't change. Amen. God doesn't change. And this book represents the thought process that we all have faced. It's not a conversation between man and in God, like he had with Job or one of the prophets, you can find there's no verses in this Bible where God speaks directly. It's really the long winding road of a man as he tries to figure this life out. And I like that. And Solomon starts off there with a very encouraging verse in verse one. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. <laughs> Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all. Is vanity. (laughs) Encouraging, yes? (laughs) As a reminder, Solomon really is the epitome of a prodigal son born into the house of King David, you know, the man after God's own heart, all those things you can read about. And this kingdom's handed to Solomon, and Solomon builds the temple and all the cool things that Solomon did. And then he just goes sideways for a season, drifted away from God to indulge himself in his own pointless. Passions. Now, as an older, wiser man, he finally comes to grip with this folly of his waywardness. He returns his focus back to the Lord and decides to write an honest, real, transparent transcript of this empty and shallow life that he had been a part of. Solomon, if you read this book, sought everything the world had to offer from depriving himself to gifting himself to the pleasures of the world. And he realized nothing, which I love that song, nothing can compare to a life lived in obedience to God. And Solomon summed up this great experiment, if you will, with one word, that word vanity. It's the Greek word, habel, which really, it's impossible to kind of nail down the definition of it. Some Bible scholars translate the word from meaningless to vanity to emptiness. Other times in scriptures, this same word refers to a vapor, something that's wispy and fleeting and elusive, that they all carry that same feel to it. Anything you want to substitute into your life, anything you want to substitute into your life besides God is vanity. It's worthless It's temporary. And looking back on his life, Solomon writes arguably really one of the most brutal, painful, and truthfully, for me, helpful books written when it comes to living or trying to live or seeking to live a life outside of God's design. And he continues there in verse 3, What profit has a man from all his labor, which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises, and the sun goes down, and it hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. You don't see that on a lot of get well cards. (laughs) You know, Solomon wasn't the best Hallmark writer in the world, that's for sure. But he gives us this little clue here, this under the sun. That phrase appears over and over and over in this book. And it kind of gives us a glimpse of what he's talking about. It speaks of a life lived without connection to God while we're here, while we're under this sun, while we're on this terra firma, as they call it, walking this this life. A godless life lived by our limited insights. A life lived under our umbrella of wisdom, information gleaned solely by our experiences, with no words from God whatsoever and no regard to what the scriptures have to say. It's just a worldly, as we call it in the modern church, a worldly view. Life as we see it, not life as God sees it. And right off the bat, Solomon makes things easy to understand, which is great for a simple mind like myself. People are born, people die. The sun rises, the sun sets, the wind blows, the water flows to the sea, and man, us, human beings, even though we may work and work and work, we have food, we have shelter, we may gather a few toys along the way that are kind of cool, but we're rarely satisfied with what we have. And so back to work we go to gain more and more and more to make the best of this life. Remember, without God, the best of this life under the sun. In other words, if this is all there is, is we were born. This is the uplifting message, right? And God's like, man, can we just get to the gospel? You know, listen, if we're born and this is it and there's nothing else. Listen, I want all I can get Now. And we see a world chasing that. There is nothing after this. I want all I can get. I don't care what it is. It's a continual cycle that man has suffered from that's centered on this premise that this is it. And sadly, I'll just take all I can get. It's a life at this point for Solomon that has lost perspective of what really it's all about. And Jesus spoke about this pursuit in Mark chapter 8. He says, you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever desires to lose his life or, or save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Listen, the pursuit of this world, the chasing of this world, even though sometimes people catch it, they seem to have all they want. They seem to never suffer. They seem to just live a life that's that's great. I mean, they have great families. They have cool cars. They have a big house. They have unlimited finances. They seem to have caught all that the world has to offer, and they're empty, and they're unfulfilled. And we've seen that over and over and over. Those who seem to have everything, and yet it's just not enough. Things are missing from their life. So where do we find this elusive enough? (laughs) You guys already know the answer, and Solomon writes it there in Psalm 65. You will provide atonement for them. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you that he may dwell in your courts we shall be satisfied, the Bible says, with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. That's the end game. That's when we become truly satisfied just to dwell in those courts, to take a break, to take that huge eternal exhale. That's what our pursuit has to be, to be no God, obviously to be known by God, to have him call us by name. That has to be, or it should be, our number one. Everything else, God has control over. We have control over this. Do we love God? Do we keep His commandments? Solomon continues with this uplifting message there in Ecclesiastes in verse 9. That which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which may be said? See, this is new. It's already been in ancient times before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. He is a huge downer. (laughs) I don't recommend inviting Solomon to your your house for a party. It's going to bring everyone in the room completely flat. But listen, we can so be fooled easily at times. We're lured in that something is new and something is improved. And we have to keep this in mind that Ecclesiastes is not just some old book, right? I mean, we understand this, right? This is, this is the words of God. Therefore, it's eternal. It hasn't faded It's able to speak to any generation from the time it was penned to these these seats today if you want to learn from it. There's a huge difference between the two. An old book gets old. It gets outdated. Like an old set of encyclopedias. Remember that was a big deal? If you're over 40, you know what I'm talking about. You had to have the set of encyclopedias. It was a big deal. There was... Encyclopedia salesman that went around. You want to be the smartest man in the world, you got to get this set of encyclopedias. Does anybody have a set any more than just show? Right. Yeah. Are they worth anything? Uh, they're uh, maybe about 150. To... No, I mean, worth anything. <laughs> Not, yeah, no. They're like, hey, we think the, you know, it, it's all this information that is completely outdated. You know, it doesn't have any current it's all just changed from, from from sciences and the medical field and advancements we have, it's all completely different. And that used to be the best thing we had. Information has changed and it becomes useless information. That's an old book. But the Bible, however, is living, evolving. Growing, It never changes. It changes with us as we read it, and it becomes new again and becomes fresh. It never grows outdated. It never grows old, and therefore it can speak right to this very day. Paul writes this in Hebrews. The word of God is living. It's alive. It's, it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. And as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, it was the same Bible then. It's the same Bible now. And that evolutionary chart that they showed us all in high school... They may still show it that draws this false line of teaching, tricking us into thinking that history is kind of this straight line that, that, that we, we go up and up and up and up. And we're more advanced than we were X amount of years ago than those who came before us. And Solomon really tells us the truth here inadvertently that he's found in his life that history is really just a circle it 's really just an endless circle. One generation drives around that circle, trying to outdo their neighbor, trying to outdo the latest with, with something new and improved and more stuff and more more power and more information and more fame but it 's really just this circular movement it 's not linear. it will be linear when Christ comes back and then heaven just disappears into this line. But right now, it's a complete circle. Technology has increased. Things get faster and faster and maybe better. I'm not saying things aren't better, but they're not new. It's the same thing. They're just reinventions and re-innovations of a product, a common idea, polished up functioning well like our phones that we love so much it's just communication we're just talking to people we used to have to go face to face and walk and someone decided we can do this via these electronic wires and the phone was invented and here we are on phones and we're all over the place but really it's the same idea we just want to communicate we want to know our loved ones are safe we want to talk to our wife we want to grab our kids all these things it's the same thing it's not new it's easier and more convenient, but it's not new. and we, was, we mistake movement like that, for progress, for innovation. We use words like "groundbreaking," those kind of things. We put this into Solomon's perspective, there's nothing new. The only thing that I've ever came across in my life that was new that really changed the world. it's the best thing since sliced bread. Right. Sliced bread is still the bar, not medical advancements, not the trip to the moon, not the automobile. But when they figured out how to slice bread, everything changed. So that really is the last of the new. Correct. It's still the bar. I don't know what it was like not to have sliced bread, but it must have been horrible (laughs) to have to slice your own bread. I mean, apparently, the knives weren't of great quality. I'm not sure what the problem was, but it was the most difficult task. And when God ordained the mind of some man to figure out how to cut that bread, everything changed. And we've just expounded on that. That's all we've done. It's the truth. Tell me one thing that's better than sliced bread. Nothing. (laughs) If it wasn't for sliced bread, I wouldn't eat sandwiches. So praise God for that innovation. (laughs) Listen, everything is just a little bit improved or revised copy. And so far, yes, Solomon is a giant downer. And at this point, we're very early in this book. Is there anything hopeful? (laughs) Is there any sort of good news? No. He says not Under the sun, not while we're on this earth. Solomon's made that perfectly clear. We have to start looking elsewhere. We have to start looking into other areas to find happiness and fulfillment. And really, the obvious connection here is only in God are we going to find the hope for anything new. If it wasn't for Christ, there is nothing new to look forward to. He came to this earth and he brought things to us the world had never seen, truly new things. Luke 22 says this cup is the new covenant, a brand new covenant, which is shed for you. This new covenant of his sacrifice with God and man was only the beginning, only the beginning. Because of this belief, now we get this huge prize package, if you will, of all brand new stuff. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, if anyone's in Christ, he's a what? Not revised, not improved. David said, create in me a clean heart, a new heart. Give me something different. I don't want the same old thing. In Christ, we are a new creation. Everything, old things have passed. Behold, all things have become new, born again brand new and that's just not two things it's all things in Christ we get a brand new nature you can find that Ephesians chapter 4 we get a fresh new heart and a new sense of purity in 1st Corinthians we get a brand new community like you guys like the church that's also in Ephesians a new commandment Jesus says in John to keep us on track and really the best thing of all of this relationship with Christ is found in Revelation. As Jesus says, behold, I'm coming quickly. He says, hold fast to what you have so that no one takes this crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new Name, Brand new. It's all becoming brand new. We have this hope in Christ. A hope of a new home and a new name and a brand new heaven and brand new earth for us to just enjoy God in his fullness. And when you start comparing those things, when you start lining those things up side by side, Comparing them with what the world has to offer, there is really nothing that we need. There's really nothing that compares to it. It's all been prepared. It's all waiting. But it's in a different place. It's not here. We can chase those things under the sun. I've chased them. You've chased them. And sometimes it feels as though we're winning a little bit. I'm not blind to that fact. But nothing's going to come close. No victory on this earth. No success on this this earth. No amount of what we think is fulfillment on this earth is going to compare for the newness that God has prepared for us. And Solomon continues there in chapter 1 with even more good news. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, starting there in verse 12. And I set... My heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they must be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, what is lacking cannot be numbered. I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I've attained greatness. I've gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this is also grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases in knowledge increases sorrow. (laughs) Solomon seems like a guy I'd want to hang around with. I mean, you imagine this guy's life, the things that he's went through to pin these words to us. That's incredible. All of this wisdom. You guys remember his, 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 he got, you can have anything you want. I want wisdom. God said, I'm going to, I'm going to make you this. They're going to be the best there is. I'm also going to give you all that the, all you need. I'm gonna give you more money, all the things you need. And yet, he doesn't have an answer yet. God has set us in this same place to find those answers. We are here. The only reason we exist is to find the same answer that Solomon was trying to find. Paul writes this in Romans For creation was subjected to futility. Look at that, not willingly. But because of him who subjected it in hope. When you're catching the gist there of what Paul is writing, are you seeing that? That God designed this thing. God designed your life. God designed this planet. God designed mankind and everything in it to not make any sense. To not be something that we can figure out. He put things in motion that no amount of intellect and no amount of wisdom and no amount of searching and seeking and learning is ever going to make it straight, as Solomon said. These crooked paths cannot be made straight. There are things in this life that simply do not work they don't make sense we try to rationalize them we try to find reasons why they just don't fit together and yet they do right like this doesn't make any sense but looking back it's brilliant this shouldn't go together peanut butter and chocolate but it does right there are things that shouldn't happen there are things that should happen, and we have zero control over e- either side of those. It seems like, as smart as we are, with our smartphones, as they call it, and our smart TVs, and our computers, that we should, able, we should be able to figure things out a little bit. <laughs> and we always seem to find our way all the way back. All the way back. With nothing really to show for it. No real gains whatsoever. Listen. Let me just encourage you with this today. It's not you. God did this. It's no accident. It's purposed. And it's perfectly designed so that mankind... Those who came before, those who will come after me and you and in the ones in the room today, for the, for the lack of a better term, so that we will seek out the truth. Seek out the same truth that the wisest man on earth would seek out. Seek out the same truth that any character from the Bible you can think of has had to seek out. And though what seems like vanity, what seems like meaninglessness and worthlessness and, and, and temporary things... Draw us to the only hope we have. Reason and purpose. And eternally secured in Christ. (laughs) You know that hope was waiting. For us to find it the entire time. As we walk in this circle. As we pass the same things over and over. Every man, woman and child that's ever been here. Needs to seek out this truth. And here's the truth that Solomon was seeking the answer. Can I just tell you this morning? God Himself is the answer. And Solomon calls this task of searching burdensome. And man, is it just me or does it feel like that sometimes? Burdensome. Not because God has hidden Himself. Not because God's decided I'm going to make myself invisible and elusive and you're never going to find me. He's not trying to hide from us. He wants to be found from, by us. But we make it hard. We make the task burdensome. Our pride gets in the way. I can do it. That's what Solomon's dealing with. Selfishness. I don't want to change. I like who I am. You probably shouldn't, but we do. We don't trust what the scriptures have to say. We, miss, we misplace our faith. And on and on and on we go throughout our own intellect, but they cloud our vision. And they, they make our path very difficult to walk. We try to make up answers in our life to things that only God knows. That's a burdensome life. Listen, these struggles can be answered in the person of Jesus only and his words only amplify how easy his walk is. He tells us in Matthew to take my yoke upon you. He says to learn from me, from from gentle and I'm lowly in heart and you will find rest. Why do you find rest? Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's the wisdom we need to make this thing go our way for a change. You can rest assured That in Jesus' life, there were things that did not make sense to any single person around him. They don't make sense to me. If I'm God, and I'm bringing my son to this earth, there's zero chance he's born in a cave somewhere. There's zero chance he doesn't take his rightful place among his people and become king like he's supposed to be. He was rejected by the very people he came to save eventually crucified, betrayed even by his closest disciples, abandoned by everyone minus John, willfully suffered. Isaiah paints this picture. He's despised. He's rejected. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We did not esteem him. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten, and afflicted. That life makes no sense to me why God chose to do that. But I thank God that he did do it that way, because it makes perfect sense now. But to find the answer for the life of Jesus and why it had to happen this way is an impossible task. It's very difficult to figure out until we get to the cross. And Isaiah finishes that verse, but he was wounded. Why? For our transgressions. He suffered all of this bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for who? Our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we, I mean, you and I, by by all of this, that's why his life was chaos. Chaos. That's why his life was turmoil. That's why he went through everything he went through for me, for you, because that's a God that does not want to be hidden any longer from you. He wants the veil torn. He wants open access to our life. The only reason for the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ was not to save the world in general, but to save me and save you. The world is a general place that we have no idea, but I see faces and I have names that I know have accepted that. All of that suffering, all of that suffering for me and you, the rejection, making a new way and a brand new hope so that we can be reunited with the God that has been waiting forever, literally, for us to get there, wanting it so bad that he's willing to send his only son, so that you can get in. That's an incredible thought when you think about it. The only answer to any question we have is Christ. John says this, if I or Jesus is speaking in the book of John. If I go, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna, I'm gonna go prepare a place for you. He told us twelve. And then I'm gonna I'm gonna come again, and I'm gonna receive you to myself. And that where I am, I'm going to go make this thing. I'm going to come back. I'm going to get you in that way where I'm at. You guys can be there forever. It's going to be great. He goes, and where, where you go, where I go, you know. And the way you know, in, inherently, we, we know. And, and Thomas said, man, we don't, we don't know where we're going. I mean, how, how are we supposed to figure this thing out? We're not like Solomon. We're not, we're not smart. How are we supposed to know where you're going? How can we know the way? Anybody know what Jesus said? Who? I am the way. And, and I am the truth. And I am the life. And no offense to you Californians. It's not the five. It's a five. <laughs> you know, it's not the ten. It's a ten. But Jesus is saying, I'm not a way. I'm the way. I'm not a truth of this life. I'm, I'm the truth of this life. No one comes to the Father except through that knowledge. (laughs) What a powerful, powerful statement. People are set in motion. We're dropped right here. In this time frame, in this life, dropped right here. So that we run circles. You guys like running circles? We think we don't. I wouldn't trade my circle for anything. You know, when we did our fireworks tents for the youth all those years, they, they say it takes about, you put fireworks product all over the tent because it takes about six or seven times for someone to notice something and then purchase it. It's a circular movement. That's the way we're wired over and over. That's why advertisements works. That's how popular radio works. You, you just throw it out there over and over again, and eventually you wind up with some new and improved laundry soap because you don't even know why. You know, that's why politicians put their signs everywhere because they know you're not paying attention. You just go to the booth and like I don't remember this name. Oh, I remember that name. And you check the box. Solomon discovered it's the all of man. The all of man to run in this circle and to find Christ. And listen, I'm kind of a big fan of the beginning of a book. I'm not a big fan of the middle. Sometimes I like to go to the end that way. If it's not worth it, I'm not going to finish it. Okay, this book is exception to that. There's nothing in here that's empty. But here's a little spoiler alert. In case you don't know how Ecclesiastes ends, Solomon starts saying this crazy stuff. Listen, before the difficult days come, before the difficult days come, now's the time. And we're not far from finished, but just hang with me for just a minute. Where's Abby at? Okay, Abby wasn't here. I thought maybe we missed the rapture or something. That's going to change everyone's afternoon. (laughs) Yeah. It's like if Abby made it and I didn't, I'm going to be upset. No. You can come on up, Abby. It's fine. (laughs) Everyone was gone from the church this week. You know, Jody was sick and and Pastor Jeff was sick. And I'm just here. I'm just roaming these halls. I'm like, what have I done? I don't know. I haven't seen anybody in hours. (laughs) Kind of freaked me out a little bit. And then Joseph came. I'm like, okay, well, now that did not make me feel any better, but it was close enough. <laughs> at least we're going down together, right? We're going down together. But Solomon, at the end of his life, is he's, he's kind of come to grips with this whole thing. He says, to remember now the creator in the days of, of your youth. We're all reasonably young. Eternally speaking, we're just tiny, tiny babies, Right? He says, hey, before the difficult days come, before, he says, you got no pleasure in things, before everything becomes a burden, before we become scared of everything. He says, before you lose your teeth, you can read it for yourself. Before you don't have any strength left in your arms and in your shoulders and your legs, before you can't sing anymore like you used to sing. You know, there's some ladies and some gentlemen that can sing brilliantly, And this old man, it sounds like someone's just trying to choke out a cat. You know, they still sing and God hears that, but I have to listen to it. You know what I mean? He says, listen, before everything starts coming apart, while you're still conscious and still able to make it. Remember the creator while your mind is still functioning well, while everything is still functioning well. In other words, before things get crazy, before things get crazy and you wind up wasting your entire life, I mean, wasting your entire life, not, 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 not your eternity. I'm not talking about salvation. You know, we struggle with things and we're always going to struggle with things because we're sinful, man. And I get all that. But before you wind up just wasting your life, looking and looking and looking, just find Christ. Christ. That's what Solomon's saying. And he closes out this book with this powerful verse. You want to hear the conclusion of this entire matter. And he writes this, fear God and keep his commandments. This is man's all. And this is a man who's done everything. You know, and we have faced this world a lot already in our short tenure here. And we've run these same circles and everything is designed to put us at the feet of of Christ. Solomon figured it out. You know, I've figured it out. I'm not perfect at it. You guys have figured it out, but listen. There are those of us out there who haven't figured it out. And in this in this collection of people, I know that there are struggles. And I know that there are searching. And I know that someone somewhere in this building or in the sound of, of this message is looking and trying to place everything they can into this life and it's really not about this life it's not about this life this life is just chaos and confusion designed to get you to where you're supposed to be at a later date in a location to be determined and so listen if you're here today god is real christ is real You don't have to believe a word I said. I encourage you not to. I encourage you to read the scriptures for yourself. Search the scriptures for yourself. You know, years ago, we were up in Springfield, and and we were debating the street team. And uh, we went up there. We took the youth group up there, and we're just picking fights. You know, that's what we do best. That's what I do best, anyway. And this guy was talking, and, and, and things got kind of weird. They were wanting to build this anarchy society outside of Springfield, which I find ridiculous, you know. First of all, if you want to do that, just go do it. You don't have to get me to go with you. I'm worthless in the woods, you know. So just go. And we're talking. And then finally it just boils down after 20, 30 minutes. Remember that, Mark? Remember that guy that wore the mask? What was that mask called? The white? What was it? Yeah, whatever. I don't know. I didn't hear you, so I'm disagreeing. So anyway, listen, we, we finally get down to it. We finally get down to it. And it's just me and him. And I was like, look, man, I, I don't, I, maybe things got out of control. We, were, we weren't yelling and punching each other, but we were debating. And I was like, look, can you just do me a favor? And, and when you go home, when you're on your way home, just turn the radio off. And turn all this conversation off and just sit in, in silence, and just say, Man, God, if what this guy was saying was real, man, would you just show that to me? He goes, Yeah, I ain't gonna do that. And I was like, Why? And he goes, Because I know what I'll find. And I thought, Man, that is, that is the honesty of the world right there. I don't care who you are, I don't care where you think you've made this foothold, there are no footholds apart from Christ. And God calls to the souls of every single man woman and child that's walked on this planet and if you're here today and that's you listen god loves you god wants to deliver you from this life of chaos not from this life of of struggle and confusion and he wants to place you into an eternal hope and a brand new existence so i'm gonna ask you guys to just indulge me for a minute and and just bow your heads you know, Christians, you can pray in your spirits for those that are here today. You know, but listen, if you're here today and you know that you know that you know that I need, I need that kind of newness, I need that freshness, I need that washing and that cleansing that's only offered in the person of Christ. It's not offered by just simply raising our hand or taking a part of some ritual. It's only offered by an acceptance of. That we're sinners, and we need a way out of this thing. Because time is closing rapidly. The door is closing rapidly. And I'm not saying that as some scare tactic. I'm just saying that as the reality of the times that we live in. So if that's you, I would love to introduce you to my friend Jesus today. I would love to bring you into that kingdom. And so if that's you, we just need to know who you are. And if you could just do me a favor and and raise your hand. You don't have to keep it up there. We're not going to make things weird. I just, we give that opportunity. That's why Christ came, to save people. And so if that's you, let's give you a brief moment. You raise your hand. I'll see it. You can put it right back down. I see you, brother. Anyone else? And the Bible rejoices over that. That's why we're here, to gain a foothold. Anyone else? Well, listen, in the quiet of your spirit, if you raised your hand, or if you just don't have the, 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 the strength the you need to get that arm up today, but you know that you know, I'm gonna pray this prayer, and I want you to just repeat after me, you can repeat after me in your spirit, God hears all of those things like, Lord, I thank you for your life. Lord, I confess today that I'm a sinner. I confess that I've, I've wasted a lot of time searching, Lord. And I just ask that you, you wash me and you cleanse me. And you give me a new heart. Lord, you give me a new hope. And Lord, thank you for the new life that's found in just belief in you. Lord, I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.